First Chronicles chapter 21. I'm glad we can dig into the word this morning. So I'm going to, uh, there's, I'm not going to read the whole uh, chapter. I'm going to be uh, kind of starting at the beginning and then skipping uh, further in. So I'm going to start off with prayer uh, before we do anything. Lord, we thank you again for this uh, already blessing us this service, Lord. We thank you that we uh, we know your presence is here, Lord. We felt it, Lord, in the worship that we've already done. Lord, we thank you for that. But Lord, I pray as we open up your word that the same Holy Spirit that's been with us, Lord, helps us uh, uh, just to open up our eyes and our ears, our minds and our hearts to what your word has, Lord. And I pray that you would convict us in the areas we need convicting, but also, Lord, encourage us in the areas where we're doing your will and Lord we thank you for what you're going to do today Lord if there's any lost I pray that they'd come to know you before it's too late Lord use me to preach fill me with the unction of the Holy Spirit Uh, empty me of self and Lord help me to just get out of the way in Jesus name we pray and amen so 1 Chronicles 21, uh, this is a story that happens later in King David's life, just five years before he dies. Uh, so at this point, he's the king of both uh, the northern and southern kingdom, both Israel and Judah. He's ruling over the whole thing. God had blessed him with many victories by this point. Uh, he had beaten especially the Philistines countless times. Uh, he has the, his mighty men with him. Uh, He had already gone through the rebellion uh, of his son and all of that, and he is ruling uh, for this last part. But we see in 1 Chronicles 21, verse 1, uh, we'll look at the first few verses just to kind of set the stage. It says, And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. And David said to Joab and to the rulers of his people, Go, number Israel from Beersheba even to Dan, and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. And Joab answered, The Lord may... Make his people a hundred times so many more as they be. But my lord the king, are they not all my lord's servants? Uh, why then doth my lord require this thing? Why will he cause? Uh, why will he be a cause of trespass? To Israel. So what David wants is he wants a census. That, that's what we call it today. We do it in the U.S. every 10 years. Uh, but you can see uh, uh, from verse 1 that Satan is provoking David to do this. And you're thinking, well, what, what's the problem if, if David just goes out and counts all the men that are in Israel? What, what's the problem? Why is Joab telling him in verse 3, this is a sinful thing to do? Because we, I mean, when, when our government goes out and counts the people, is that a sin? No. What's happening here is David is a king of Israel, and God specifically told the kings of Israel before uh, in the law. He told them, he said, listen, I don't want you to rely on numbers. I don't want you to rely on the majority. I don't want you to rely on chariots and horses, a military strategy. The Lord says, I want you to rely on me, right? I want you to trust me. And the Lord said, you trust me, and I'll give you victory. So if he's going to go, then count how many men he's got ready for battle. He's not trusting the Lord. And Joab's telling him this. He said, hey, you do this. You're sinning against the Lord. So we know that there's the temptation there and everything else. And uh, even though David gets wise counsel, he still has them uh, to go number the people. You remember back, he should have remembered in his early life when he was facing the giant. Remember? Remember? 
on every number, on every measure. He was small, the giant's big. Uh, you know, he shouldn't have won that, but he trusted the Lord, right? He didn't trust in the armor. He didn't trust in numbers. He trusted in the Lord. And now he's flipping and trusting in what he has himself. So that Joab later in the, uh, after this, he goes out to count. It takes them a little over nine months and they come back with the total. And verse seven said, God was displeased. He was angry with David for what he wanted, what he was doing. But then I asked this question. Have you ever sinned against the Lord? Right? Have you ever sinned against the Lord after you're saved? We talked about this in Sunday school. I know there are some groups that think that you become perfect after you're saved, but I just can't find that in the Bible. And if that were true, there'd be a whole lot of people in the Bible that can't be there. Right? There's a whole lot of real people in the Bible after they came to the Lord, after they trusted the Lord, they went against God. David's, this is a good example right here. But then the question is, if we realize that we sin against him, we let God down, uh, we fall short even after we're saved, what do we do when we sin? What's our response? What do we do when we sin against God even after we're saved? I like what David did in verse 8. And David said unto God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing. But now I beseech thee, do away with the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. David doesn't give excuses. He doesn't wait. He doesn't uh, uh, do any of those things. He just admits the truth to the Lord, who already knows it, by the way. He says, I have sinned greatly against you, Lord. I have done foolishly in this. And he, he just admits to God what God already knows, and that is what we need to do as well. God already knows our hearts. He already knows our minds. He already knows when we go fall short, even after we're saved. And what we need to do is we just need to go back to him and say, Lord, I've done this thing that I shouldn't have done. Or maybe it's the opposite. Lord, I haven't been doing what you want me to do either way. But he goes to the Lord and admits the problem. And then David is given... A choice of punishment because of the sin. Either he could pick three years of famine, three months of being overtaken by their enemies, or three days of pestilence or plague from the Lord. And David chooses, I'll take the three days. Basically saying, I'll, I'll fall into the Lord's hands. I know the Lord's merciful. I'll, we'll do the three days of plague. And verse 14 says that 70,000 men had died. And now we're getting to the meat of the story. Look at verse 15. God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. And as he was destroying it, the Lord beheld and he repented of him the evil and said unto the angel that destroyed it is enough. Stay now thine hand. And the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornan, uh, Ornan the Jebusite. So here is the moment that Jerusalem would have been just leveled uh, by this plague. It would have been gone. And we know by the people in Jerusalem at that time, it was probably another few hundred thousand would be died, would be dead if the Lord didn't stop the judgment. But he orders it to stop in a certain place. The threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. And we'll talk about him. But then look at verse 18. The angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up and set up an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. And David went up at the saying of Gad, which he spake in the name of the Lord. So the Lord's giving David instructions now. He says that 
threshing floor that the angel stopped at, Ornan's threshing floor. I want you to stop and build an altar and give a sacrifice. And you, I want you to realize something that this may shock you as I say it, but just because we pray to the Lord doesn't stop judgment. And you're thinking, now wait a second, Mike, can't we... Can't the lost, when we were lost, can't we pray to the Lord uh, and then he saves us? Yes, but there, what else is with that prayer? There's a sacrifice tied to it, right? If we believe in our heart that Jesus dies and rose, died and rose from the dead and we confess with our mouth, right? Uh, so there is, it's not just praying to the Lord. Have you ever met a lost person that just prays to God, right? They, a lot of them pray to God when they get in trouble and everything else. Does that change their circumstance? No. There has to be prayer with a sacrifice, right? Because we already saw that David was calling out, interceding, God, I have sinned. uh, And he's repenting of it. And he's saying, I've done foolishly. I've done this wicked thing. Lord, I beseech you that you would not uh, destroy the people for what I've done. But notice then the judgment comes right after that. There's no hearing of his prayer until there's a sacrifice. That's what he's saying. And what the Lord does is he stops the angel and pauses him in place and says, Hey, David, you go to that threshing floor and you put up an altar there and you offer a sacrifice. And then everything will be stopped. If you want your sins forgiven today, you've got to pray to Jesus Christ. And not just for his name, but because of what he's done on the cross for your sins. Amen. When we pray to him for salvation, it is, uh, it's not that it's a good moral teacher, Jesus, or a good rabbi, Jesus, or a good story, Jesus. It's the Jesus that died on the cross who was innocent, who paid the price for our sins. That's why we can call on his name for salvation. Because if there wasn't a sacrifice tied to it, you could pray to anything. But we know that doesn't work. You've got to pray to Jesus. He's the only one that can forgive sins because he's the only one that died for the sins of the world. So David doesn't waste any time. He immediately goes. But look at what happens to Ornan in verse 20 before David gets there. And Ornan turned back and saw the angel and his four sons with him hid themselves. Now Ornan was threshing wheat. So if he's threshing wheat, we know that it is harvest time. And that threshing floor in that day would have been kind of this circular, uh, today we would do concrete, but it was stone, uh, circular area. And what they'd do is they'd pile up that wheat in the middle uh, and they would get these pitchforks and they'd throw up the wheat up into the air uh, on days when the wind was blowing and usually the threshing floor would be on a hill. That would make it the easiest. And as you threw that wheat up in the air, that wind would take and separate the chaff from the wheat, Right? There's going to be a separation one day, right? So it, uh, the wind does the work, and then that, that wheat comes and falls back down. That's what it does. The good part, the bad part blows away. The wheat comes back onto the threshing floor. So Ornan is doing this with his sons, and he turns around, and he sees that angel with the sword in his hand about ready to take out Jerusalem altogether. And he did what we would do, right? He hid himself. He was afraid, right? He saw the angel was about to destroy Jerusalem and he hid. But then what comes next? Verse 21, and David 
And as David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and saw David and went out of the threshing floor and bowed himself to David, his face to the ground. Then David said to Ornan, grant me the place of this threshing floor that I may build an altar thereon unto the Lord, that the Lord grant it me for the full price that the plague may be stayed from the people. So after Ornan just sees the angel of destruction, then he sees King David coming, his king, to meet him. And King David has a message. He says, Ornan, I want to buy your threshing floor. I want to buy it. That's what he said, right? He says that, grant me it. In verse 22, uh, thou shalt grant it me for a full price. So David, his king, is saying, I'm going to pay the full price to it uh, so I can buy it, not for my pleasure, but so we can build an altar there to the Lord. Now this is the verse. This is the big, one of the big ones of the story. Verse 23. And Ornan said unto David, Take it to thee, and let my lord the king do that which is good in his eyes. Lo, I give thee the oxen also for the burnt offerings, and the threshing instruments for wood, and the wheat for the meat offering. I give it all. Now you think about it for a second. Think of how many people that he's a farmer... You know, and a lot of these farmers, they, uh, they're living from year to year, season to season. Uh, if, if the crop does well, they'll do all right. But if something goes wrong, they could be in trouble. They could lose everything. Uh, I, I'm amazed at how much uh, they have to put all that money up front. Right? They have to buy the seed. They have to, uh, well, in our day today, you got to buy the gas and everything, pay people and all of that. And then at the end, hoping there will be a harvest and hoping the harvest will not only cover your costs, but more than cover it. It's a hard job. So imagine you're Ornan, and you have the king coming to you, and he says, I want your threshing floor. Oh, you know, we're, some of us are thinking, ooh, ooh, property value just went up, didn't it? Right? That was only worth so much, but we know the king has a lot of money. Right? We can ask him for all kinds of money. He didn't do that. In fact, he does the opposite. Ornan tells David, and this should be shocking, he's saying, you take it. Take it to thee and let the Lord, the king, do that which is good in his eyes. You don't have to pay me. That's what he's saying. You don't have to pay me anything. Take it so you can build an altar to sacrifice unto the Lord. Not only that, look what else he says. Not only do you take it, but take the oxen, right? His oxen. Take that too. Not only that, but take the wooden tools that we use to build the fire. And not only that, take all the wheat we harvested. Take that too. And you think about this. This long story in this chapter that we're not even reading the whole thing. Sometimes we skim over it, but you think about this. I told you that threshing floor there, that, that large stone area, the flat area that they're, the, they're throwing it up. The chaff is being separated. But uh, the next thing they would do is they'd usually have some, uh, a team of ox and they'd have this wooden contraption. They'd put some weight on it and then the, uh, the, the chaffless wheat would go in there and they'd kind of run around the outer edge and that would separate the stem uh, you know from the part that they needed so you think about Ornan saying not only can you have my threshing floor uh, but you can have the oxen and you can have the wood that goes into the device that we use to do the next step of the process but those oxen would have been very expensive those oxen he would have used to plant and everything else and he's saying I want you to have it all have all of it this is not a normal person right 
This is not a normal response. This is not what's normal. He's willing to give all of this up. Because you think about it, he is giving up the threshing floor. David didn't say, I want your whole wheat field. Right? He didn't ask for that. So he could farm the next year. But he's got no oxen to do it with. He's got no harvest, right? Because part of the harvest, you, you save some of that money to buy seed and, uh, for the next year. He can't do that. He's giving it all. He's giving his livelihood uh, over to David and just saying, take it. He's got nothing to help him. And then finally, 23, if you didn't get it, he says, I give it all. Every bit of it. He's in the middle of the harvest. He's threshing the wheat that he'll live off of uh, for the next year. And, and he's saying, if this is for the Lord, if this is for the king, I'm giving it without hesitation, without delay. Uh, you know what we would say, if we're honest with ourselves, well, let me pray about that, right? Let me get some appraisals, you know, let me pray, let me think about it. Give me a week or two or a month or everything else. He doesn't do that. He says, I'm freely... That day, right then and there, I'll give it all. And he realized David wasn't asking for a gift. He wasn't forcing Ornan to do anything, but Ornan was willing to give everything. Verse 24, And King David said unto Ornan, Nay, but I will verily buy it for full, the full price, for I will not take that which is thine for the, for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings without cost. So David gave Ornan for the place 600 shekels of gold by weight. David is refusing to accept the gift. He is saying, I, uh, this is something very important that David is saying right here. He is saying, I will not take that which is thine for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings without cost i and, and here's the easy thing it can't be a sacrifice if it doesn't cost anything right that's in the word sacrifice if you're going to offer uh, back in their day if you're going to offer an animal for a sacrifice you're losing that animal you can't right. sell it they're expensive it costs you something to sacrifice to the lord and i'm here to tell you uh, that the same rule applies to us we're, we're not giving uh, animals, we're not doing those things, uh, but here uh, we, the sacrifice is costly. And you're thinking, Mike, well, it, it, is that really true? Let's ask Jesus Christ. How costly was the sacrifice? He gave it all. He paid a great price for you and I. Look at Orn. Uh, so we think about it. If we're going to give something to the Lord, it has to cost us too. Right? When we're giving ourselves to the Lord, it needs to cost time, effort, talents, our treasures, preparation, prayer, faith, all of these things. Listen, if you and I are just giving to God out of our abundance, or we're just giving what we don't want anymore, that's not a sacrifice. That's not. It's not what God wants. David understood it. He could have taken that for free, but he said, no, I'm buying that because it's a sacrifice. It's going to cost something. And I know it's not popular preaching, but it's the truth. Ornan was willing to give it all for the Lord to David. But do you realize the Lord did not want everything from Ornan, right? 
The Lord didn't require that. He didn't send David, go uh, get everything that Ornan has and take it. He just wanted the threshing floor. And in fact, he was willing to give him full price for it. And you're thinking, what's so special about this spot? I'm glad you asked. A thousand years prior, Genesis 22. You know, Abraham, Abraham had been praying for a son for many years. Right? He'd been praying and praying. He tr- they tried to, uh, with Hagar and got Ishmael, but that's not what God wanted. Finally, Isaac is born. His own, the Bible calls it his only begotten son. And after he's older, might even have been a teenager at this time, we believe, because he's carrying the wood. Remember, God uh, tells him, he says, I want you to take your son and I want you to sacrifice him to me. Remember, they travel uh, and then the Lord points it out. He says, that's the spot, Mount Moriah. Uh, uh, Abraham turns to the servant, says, you wait here while I and the lad go up to worship and we'll return again. We will return again unto you. Now, there's faith right there. And then they, they go up the mountain there and as they're going up there Isaac's old enough that he's carrying the wood and he realizes something he turns to his father because he had seen his father sacrifice before he says father oh uh, we've got the wood we've got the fire where's the sacrifice right and one of my favorite portions of scripture uh, uh, and now I'm tired so hopefully I say these things right uh, but uh, favorite things that uh, Abraham says in faith uh, he says God will provide himself a sacrifice He is saying that God not going to bring a sacrifice himself. He said he will be the sacrifice himself. So they get up to the top of that mountain. They set up the altar in place. Uh, uh, Isaac is willingly lays there. He is tied down. And there uh, uh, Abraham, his father, is getting ready to plunge in the knife. Would have slid his throat just like any sacrifice. We don't like it. But there he's got the knife in hand. He's ready to go. And the angel stops Abraham. Abraham uh, and says hold on now and and again he showed uh, see the the Lord knew what Abraham would do but I'm not sure Abraham knew what Abraham would do that's why we get tested from the Lord from time to time so we realize where we're at with the Lord Uh, but here we see uh, that all God wanted to know was is Abraham willing to give all of Isaac the same one he had begged the Lord for he had had riches he had everything else and what did he say to the Lord years prior? Uh, I've got all this, but what good is it if I don't have a seed? You promised many nations. We know by Hebrews 11 that uh, Abraham believed that God, by faith, that God would have raised Isaac from the dead. He believed that. But what happened? Instead of offering and killing Isaac, the Lord pointed him over to a ram caught in the thicket. Right? God will provide himself a lamb. He didn't provide a lamb. He gave a ram that was temporary as a substitute for Isaac. But aren't you glad there's a lamb that was a substitute for all of us would come later. That Mount Moriah is the exact same spot as the threshing floor of Ornan. Right there. God said that's the spot. That is where I want an altar. That is where I will stop the plague by a sacrifice. That is the spot. But notice, Abraham was willing to give everything for the Lord. But God didn't want Isaac's life. He wanted Abraham, right? To be fully willing. And you know what? If you and I are honest with ourselves, I believe we can say the same thing 
The Lord wants us to offer everything to him. But have you ever had him ask for everything? I haven't. I know in the past where I wasn't sure where God would lead me and I knew that I wanted to be obedient to the Lord and I knew one of the areas that would be a likely thing if I were to guess is that God could send me and maybe me and Brooke to another country to be missionaries and I'm telling you, uh, you get to the point where you're ready and saying, Lord, if that's what you want, I will walk away and do that. And then realizing that wasn't what he wanted. He had a different plan from me. Right? But I think part of it was just wanting to know, Mike, are you going to just whatever it takes? That's the same thing with Ornan. Ornan was willing to give every single thing, but God didn't require it. The devil wants you to think God's going to take everything from you. He doesn't do that. He just wants you to be willing. Right? Even if you're just the boy... With the lunch that day, the five loaves and two fish, and that's all you have there with you that day. He wanted him to freely give it up that the Lord could use it to feed the 5,000. Amen? Guess what I realized a long time ago? That boy was able to eat better after he gave everything, all his lunch to Jesus. Maybe that wouldn't have filled him up. I don't know. But everyone ate to their fill after Jesus right. multiplied it. Don't you listen to the devil. Don't you let him convince you that you need to hold back on the Lord. Don't let him convince you that if you step out too far uh, that you'll be in ruin or everything else. I'm telling you what, I think what the Lord wants is he just wants us to be ready and willing and take the step of faith and say, you know what, Lord, I'm not just going to give you the extra. I'm not going to give you the extra time that I have lying around or the extra money or any talents or anything. I'm going to give you my best and I'm going to be willing to give it to you and then we'll see what you want of me. I think that's what we're seeing in this story. What are we giving to him? What are we giving? And what are we holding him back? Verse 26, David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings and called upon the Lord. And he answered from heaven by fire upon the altar of burnt offering. So David buys the threshing floor. He builds an altar, offers a sacrifice, all in obedience to the Lord. And then the Lord tells the angel to stand down and it's all over. So that same spot where Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac is the same spot as the threshing floor of Ornan that stopped the plague. And it would be the exact same spot where Solomon, his son, David's son, would build the temple on that exact same spot. And then just a short distance away, a short walk away, would be the cross where Jesus would die for our sins. I think about all that and I'm just amazed. The Lord could have taken the threshing floor from morning. Or he could have used David to his authority as a king and say, I'm taking it. But he didn't. Because that's not how God works, is it? Does he go and literally force you to do things? No. No, he will go to you and say, this is what I want from you. And we can either hold back or we can walk by faith and give it to him. That's it. He did not steal that threshing floor. The devil does that. Right? Remember King Ahab wanted, that vine wanted the vineyard? And what did he do? 
had him killed to take it. The Lord doesn't work like that. That's how the devil works. He steals, kills, and destroys. Our God, he's a gentleman. He walks up. Here's what I want of you. Right? If we are saved today, we are bought with a price. We know the price. It's heavy. So then when he comes to us and says, this is what I want to do for your life that I've purchased, that I own, by the way, what are we doing? Are we hesitating? Are we holding back? Are we saying, I don't know, Lord. I'll give you a piece of the threshing floor, right? I'll give you a little bit of the wheat that's left over. What did Ornan said? I'll give it all. And he never had to. He left that day with the wheat, the oxen, the, the wooden tools, and the bag of money because all the Lord wanted was that threshing floor. He was willing to give it all. And then he could go build another one. Who knows if that's what God wants of you. The devil's trying to scare you. God wants everything. He's going to take all your fun away. He's going to do everything that you love and every, everything else. Why don't you just try God? Why don't you try it? You know, if I, had to, if I would have been a missionary, I wouldn't have had the career and different things that I have today. But I was willing to say, Lord, I'll walk away from that. Even, even though I've put all the years into it, all the education, everything else, I'm willing. If that's what you want me to do, I'll walk away from it. And then he said, no, I don't want you to. I've got something for you. What if that's you today? But you'll never know because you're not trusting him. Jesus died for our sins. If you've never come to Jesus for salvation, you need to. He died for you. He died for me. He paid the price that we couldn't pay. But if you're saved today, what are you holding back? What are we holding back from God? Am I saying to come here and put your entire... No. I'm not like the prosperity preachers. I'm not saying to come sell everything you have, put it in the altar. No. I'm just saying, are you willing to give to God what you've been holding back with? And I think for a lot of us, money's not the issue. I think it's time. I think it's willingness to use the talents that God has given us. My goodness, he has given some of us some special talents. Yet there are some of us that just refuse to give that to the Lord. I can't imagine today. I can't imagine, but he does. I'm going to ask everyone to stand.